Hi everyone, welcome back to Daily Gospel Exegesis Podcast. I hope you're enjoying the approach we have in this podcast where we take you through the gospel readings verse by verse and we're really trying to get at what the literal sense of the text is. What did the text mean in its original context? So today we get to a really interesting reading. What you would hear at Mass today is Luke chapter 13 verses 22 to 30. So here's the text. Through towns and villages, Jesus went teaching, making his way to Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Sir, will there only be a few saved? He said to them, Try your best to enter by the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not succeed. Once the master of the house has got up and locked the door, you may find yourself knocking on the door, saying, Lord, open to us. But he will answer, I do not know where you come from. Then you will find yourself saying, We once ate and drank in your company, you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I do not know where you come from. Away from me, all you wicked men. Then there will be weeping and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves turned outside. And men from east and west, from north and south, will come to take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Yes, there are those now last who will be first, and those now first who will be last. So some really interesting words from Jesus today, and we want to pay close attention to them because there's some pretty strong warnings in here, and this is perhaps a part of the Gospels that you may not have heard from. So what's the context here? So Jesus is moving from Galilee to Judea for the final phase of his ministry. So he's moving towards Jerusalem. Along the way, he's doing ministry, he's speaking to the crowds, he's been doing healings, and he's just given a couple of parables about the kingdom of God. So building on that, Jesus is now going to give some very clear teachings on who will make it into the kingdom. Verse 22, through towns and villages, Jesus went teaching, making his way to Jerusalem. So Jesus, we learn, goes to various towns of Israel. Probably many of these visits are not narrated in the Gospels. It's highly likely that Jesus went to many small towns and villages, said things to them, did miracles in them, but they aren't recorded in the Gospels. And it's always important to keep that in mind because the gospel authors had limited space to write with. So they had to just pick uh, the things that they thought were most important to talk about from Jesus' life, but they would have been aware of other things that they just weren't able to include. We get to verse 23, someone said to him, so probably someone from the crowds here says this to Jesus, and they say to him, sir, or more properly, that will be Lord, will there only be a few saved? This is an interesting question. Will there only be a few saved? And to be saved, we need to be clear on what that means. It doesn't mean uh, to go to heaven. That's not exactly the meaning here. To be saved, to a Jew at that time, it would have meant to be part of God's new creation in the future. So it has this idea of what we would call uh, the new heavens and new earth. So the Jewish context means to be saved. They're thinking of, will I get to the final kingdom, the new heavens and new earth? Now, faithful Jews look forward to this day when the new heavens and new earth would come, and they had different ways of describing it. Now, the question he asks is quite legitimate. Will there only be a few saved? That's quite a fair question, given everything that Jesus has been saying uh, about the kingdom and its nature. 
And he's sort of been implying to the crowds through his parables that it's not easy to get into the kingdom. So this is a legitimate question. Will there be few who are saved? This is Jesus' answer in verse 24. Try your best to enter by the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not succeed. Pretty stern words here from Jesus. First thing to ask here is, what is the narrow door? Now, we're not exactly told what this narrow door is, but most likely the best way to think about this would be the pathway that Jesus has laid out to reach salvation, to reach the kingdom. So that probably refers to all of the commandments that Jesus himself has given in his ministry. That's the narrow door. Follow Jesus' commandments. And this is a pretty narrow and difficult path to travel. It's narrow compared to the wider, easier path. That's Jesus' point here. It's not easy to travel this path. It's not easy to enter the kingdom. Following Jesus' commandments is the path to life, and he's been very clear about that, but it's not an easy path. And Jesus' language here seems to echo Moses' statement to Israel. He says, Behold, I set before you today the path of life and death. Choose life. So that's in Deuteronomy 30. So Jesus is basically saying to this person who asks, there's two broad, uh, two general pathways in life. One is the wide pathway that many take and they don't get to the kingdom because they don't follow Jesus' commandments. And then there is the narrow path, which is a lot harder to trouble, but that is the way to eternal life. So the question, let's keep in mind what the question was, will there only be a few saved? Jesus' basic answer to this question is yes. And every time he's asked this question during his ministry, his answer is always basically the same. He says, yes, few will be saved. That is his answer. And we should take that to heart. Now, maybe Jesus' way of expressing it here was primarily directed at the person who's asking. Maybe Jesus felt that the person who's asking this question really needed to hear some strong words, uh, a reminder that it's not easy to enter the kingdom. So maybe that's why Jesus emphasizes it to this particular person, because that's what they needed to hear. But the general principle probably still applies. To enter eternal life is not an easy path. It requires commitment and cooperation with God. So this is a fascinating teaching. Jesus says, many will try to enter and will not succeed. Jesus here tells us that many people will try to get into the kingdom, but they won't be able to. Not many Christian denominations would want to teach this, but this is actually the biblical teaching. Many people will know about the kingdom and they'll even try to get into the kingdom, but they're not going to be able to. Why can't they get into the kingdom? Well, Jesus is going to answer this shortly. The basic answer is not for lack of seeking. Many people do seek the kingdom in general, but the problem is, as we'll see, some people just don't do the will of God. They claim that they're seeking God and they're generally looking for the kingdom of God, but they don't actually follow God's will. They don't follow Jesus' commandments. And therefore, they do not make it into eternal life. This is a very Catholic teaching. It's a challenging teaching, particularly for uh, today's society, because we don't like to hear this, but it's Jesus' own teaching. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, we actually get a fuller version of Jesus' statement here, or a related teaching. And in that account, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So that's in Matthew chapter 7, and again Jesus says, those who find it are few. Now there is one possible caveat here we need to consider. 
maybe at the time Jesus is speaking, it was quite hard to get into the kingdom because many people had not yet come to know Jesus and his teachings. So uh, they would have found it hard to follow God's will without Jesus' direction. So one possible interpretation is, well, in Jesus' time, it was hard to enter the kingdom. But now, now that we know Jesus' teachings and we have the gospels, it's a lot easier to enter the kingdom. That's one way of thinking about it. It's probably not the best way. It looks like Jesus is making a general statement about uh, human nature in general, which is that it's hard to enter the kingdom of God uh, because many people will choose not to follow God's will. Now, in order to make his point clearer about how some people will try to enter eternal life, but they're not going to be able to, Jesus is going to give us now quite a visual image of that. He's going to depict what judgment day will look like, and he's going to use a kind of a parable here. He's going to use the image of a great banquet, and in Jesus' time, that's how many Jews conceived of the new creation, of what we would call the new heavens and new earth. Many of them conceived of it as kind of a great banquet. That's uh, what they would have thought the eternal life in its final state will look like. So he's going to give a, a kind of a mini parable here, and it's similar to other parables Jesus gives. So it's similar to the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25. Some of the phrases he uses here are the same. And it's also similar to what's called the parable of the great banquet. That's in the following chapter of Luke. So let's go to verse 25 now. Jesus says, once the master of the house has got up and locked the door. Now, in that culture, it looks like when a banquet was held, the host or the master of the house would keep the door open for a while to allow lots of guests in, but then he would eventually close the door. And this is an interesting image of heaven as well. Uh, God allows people to come into the kingdom for a limited time, but then one day there'll be no more opportunity to do that at the consummation of all things. God offers salvation up until judgment day, but after that the door is closed. There will come a point when it's too late for people to turn to him. Jesus says, now remember he's speaking to the crowds in his time here, he says to them, you may find yourself knocking on the door. Or another translation here is, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door and you will say, Lord, open to us. So get the image here. We have these people who are trying to get into the banquet, but the door is now closed. They're knocking on the door and they're saying, Lord, open to us. So Jesus is speaking to the crowds in his time and basically he's saying to the people in his own time, if they continue doing what they are, going the way that they're going, then on judgment day, that will be their situation. They will be left outside the banquet on judgment day. They're not going to be able to get in. Even if they want to, they're not going to be able to get in because they didn't uh, didn't follow God's will. They didn't follow the teachings of the kingdom and therefore they're not allowed into the great banquet uh, in the new heavens and new earth. He's kind of giving a warning to the Jewish people, and this is the crowds in general, by the way, not his disciples, it's the crowds in general he's giving a warning to. He's telling them that they could end up in this situation. Jesus goes on, the master of the house will answer, I do not know where you come from. Now the host, and as we'll see here, the host, the master of the house is basically Jesus himself. That's who the host is in this mini parable. Jesus, the host will say, I do not recognize you. You are not one of my guests. So that's basically what he's going to say to the people who are knocking. He's going to say, I don't recognize you. You're not one of my guests. So basically, these are not the kinds of people he wants at his feast. He's going to reject them and not allow them into the feast. Verse 26, then you will find yourself saying, we once ate and drank in your company. You taught in our streets. And if you've been following the gospel of Luke, 
These are all things that Jesus has done with the Jewish people in his time. He's had meals with them. He's taught in their streets. And so in this mini parable here, the Jewish people knocking on the door outside, their response is to say to Jesus, yes, you knew us, Jesus. We were there the whole time during your ministry. Uh, We saw you during your ministry. These are the kind of things these people are saying to Jesus. So it's a group of people who were fascinated with Jesus during his ministry, maybe even kind of followed him around a little bit. They were fascinated with him, but they never actually became followers. That's the group of people Jesus has in mind here. People who uh, claim to be interested in Jesus, but they weren't actually his followers. They didn't follow his commandments. That's who the warning is directed to. Verse 27, But he will reply, so the master of the house will reply, I do not know where you come from. Away from me, all you wicked men. More literally, what it says there is, away from me, you workers of iniquity. And Jesus here, or the Jesus in the parable, is kind of echoing Psalm 6 verse 9, which says, away from me, all who do evil. That's a pretty scary scene, isn't it? You've got these people knocking on the door, uh, trying to get into the great banquet on Judgment Day. But Jesus says, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. You don't want to be in that situation for Jesus to say that to you. So we're really getting to the core of it now. The reason why this group of people is not allowed into the banquet and why Jesus doesn't recognize them is, it actually says this here in the text, that they were wicked. Jesus considers them to be wicked. And this is brought out more clearly in Matthew's gospel as well. Basically, these are people who do not follow God's will, even though they've heard Jesus teach what it is. So this is a group of people who've heard Jesus' teachings who've been fascinated by him, but they haven't followed Jesus' teachings. So in other words, they haven't done what's required to get into the kingdom. They're not going to be allowed into the great banquet of the new heavens and the new earth. We should keep this warning in mind. We don't want to be a group of people who know Jesus' teachings and who are interested, but don't follow them. That's who this warning is directed to. The clear teaching here from Jesus is that actions do count. You have to follow Jesus' commandments in order to enter the kingdom. So there are some Christian denominations which say that uh, once you're saved, that's all that really counts and you should try to follow Jesus. Uh, But if you can't follow all his commandments, that's okay. It's not really a big deal in terms of your salvation. The Catholic teaching and the teaching of Jesus himself is very clear that that that's not correct. Jesus' teaching is that if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to follow Jesus' commandments. Now, you don't have to follow them perfectly. And in fact, that's made clear elsewhere. That's It's not that they have to be followed perfectly, but uh, one has to live a life of general obedience to Jesus' commandments. That's the teaching of Jesus all through the Gospels. It's challenging, but that is the teaching, and we need to hear it afresh. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching is made even clearer uh, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it is not those who say to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there it is very clearly. That's who gets to enter the kingdom. So only those who do the will of my Father in heaven are going to be accepted into the kingdom. Jesus is stressing here that just knowing about Jesus himself is not enough. Now, in that culture, it was probably common for Jews to know the teachings of important rabbis and to be interested in them. Jesus says, when it comes to me, Jesus, that's not enough. You need to follow the teachings. I'm the Messiah, the one who's come to give the definitive interpretation of the law to show you the true way to God. You have to follow these commandments if you want to enter eternal life. And we can say that this is the concept of you need to be a follower, not just a fan. 
Now, to understand this next image Jesus is going to give, he's going to keep talking about the banquet. But we need to keep in mind the Jewish belief at the time was that when the kingdom of heaven was consummated, the new heavens and new earth would come, there would literally be some sort of big feast with all of the righteous people. And in particular, they imagined that the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac, would be there at the feast. So the Jewish hope was that uh, they would be at the feast too. They get to sit down in the kingdom of God at this great feast with the patriarchs. Verse 28, Jesus says, Then there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Famous phrase, and actually this is pretty common in Matthew's gospel, but this is in Luke's gospel. And sometimes uh, you might wonder, because of the Matthew does mention a whole lot of phrases and things that the other gospels don't mention, uh, some skeptical scholars have said that maybe Matthew made up some of this language himself. He put words in Jesus' mouth. Well, here is Luke giving the exact same phrase. It's more common in Matthew, certainly, but Luke verifies for us that this is a description of hell that Jesus did indeed use, which is this, there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. That's how Jesus describes the situation of these people. Now, weeping and grinding of teeth, what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily imply pain, which is what we sometimes think of. It may not be physical pain. Weeping and grinding of teeth seems to be a Jewish way of describing extreme frustration. And whenever Jesus mentions this in Matthew's Gospel, Weeping and grinding of teeth is associated with outer darkness and the fiery furnace of hell. So that seems to be what Jesus is saying here. These people who are knocking on the door of the banquet and who are not allowed in, there's going to be weeping and grinding of teeth. The strong implication is they're going to be cast into hell. Those who are thrown out of the banquet who are not allowed in are going to be frustrated and despairing that they don't get to be a part of the kingdom. That's the image here. It's a pretty strong warning to the people in Jesus' time. Jesus says, there'll be weeping and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. So let's try and visualize the image Jesus is portraying here. The image is that there's this great banquet going on uh, after judgment day and the, the kingdom of God has fully come. And in the banquet, there's Abraham, Isaac, all the Jewish prophets. And then there's these people outside the banquet hall who are kind of looking through the windows and they can see all of the guests and they want to be in there with all the guests. They see these great men of God, the founders of their faith, and they want to be in there. So they're knocking on the door saying, let us in. But Jesus is not letting them in. Many Jews in Jesus' time believed that they would get entrance to the banquet just because they were Jews. So that's the primary audience Jesus has in mind here. People who think that just because they are Jews and they know Jewish teachings, they know Jewish rabbis, they think that that's going to be enough to get them in. Jesus teaches them that's not the case. You need to follow my commandments if you want to get into this banquet. This actually echoes John the Baptist's message. Uh, Earlier on, John the Baptist was preaching that in order to be part of God's covenant people, his new covenant people, it's not enough to be a physical descendant of Abraham. That's what many Jews would have said. They would have said, Abraham's our father, therefore I'm going to be with him in the kingdom at the kingdom banquet. Jesus says, no, if you want to be part of the kingdom banquet, if you want to be part of God's new covenant, you need to repent if you want to be part of that and you need to follow Jesus' commandments. Jesus goes on, there'll be weeping and grinding of teeth when you see them in the kingdom of God and you yourselves turned outside. What it literally says there is a very active verb, you yourselves will be thrust out. We don't like to get this picture of Jesus, but it is how he depicts himself. Jesus, the master of the house, will thrust people out. And in fact, there's some other parables 
uh, particularly the one in Matthew's gospel, where someone tries to get into the hall, but then he gets cast out because he doesn't have the right robe. So there is this active casting out of some people who try to get in and want to get in, but they can't get in. So these people are not going to be allowed into the kingdom. And it's implied, although it's not explicit here, that these people will be apart from God and his kingdom for all eternity. So in other words, these people will be cast into hell, which are really going to be the only two options on the final judgment day. You either be in the kingdom or you'll be out of the kingdom in hell. Matthew's banquet parable makes this explicit by saying that these people will be thrown into outer darkness. Notice that it's an active throwing. The king, Jesus, the master of the house, is going to throw them out of the banquet if they're not a part of the kingdom. There's no neutral ground. I know this is strong stuff, and uh, for many of us, we may not have heard teaching like this for a while, and that's why it's useful to do uh, a really good look at the Gospels, because Jesus does say, it does draw a line in the sand and say that there'll be certain people who want to get into the kingdom, but who can't because of the way they live their life. Jesus goes on, verse 29, and men from the east and west, from north and south, will come to take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. So Jesus here says, to make the situation even worse for his hearers, he says that on that day, when they're looking in at the banquet, there'll actually be Gentiles at that banquet too. They'll come from east and west, north and south. So he's thinking of the other nations, basically. He's saying people of all nations will come to be part of the kingdom, not just Jews. So Jesus here is saying to his audience that some Gentiles will get into the kingdom, while some Jews won't. So some Gentiles will be better at doing God's will than the Jews were, which is a pretty revolutionary idea to the Jews at the time. This idea that there will be Gentiles in the final kingdom is actually predicted in the prophets, particularly Isaiah mentions this quite a bit, but many Jews in Jesus' time still had this image that it's really only going to be uh, Jews and maybe a few really, really good Gentiles who will be in the kingdom. So Jesus turns that on his head and said, actually, there'll be people of all nations there and it's going to be defined by those who followed my teachings. Now, Luke's version here has an interesting phrase. Uh, Matthew's version of this line just says men from east and west will come to take their places. Luke says east, west, north and south. So some scholars have suggested that Luke, by including north and south, he wants to emphasize that the Jews and the Samaritans, so in this time period, Samaritans were in the north of Israel and the Jews in Judea were in the south, basically. Uh, Maybe this is a Jewish way of saying that in the final kingdom, those kingdoms will be reunited. Jews and Samaritans will be reunited. That's one way of looking at this phrase. And Jesus finishes now in verse 30. Yes, there are those now last who will be first, and there are those now first who will be last. You can also translate this. Behold, some last will be first, some who are first will be last. So it's one of Jesus' favorite phrases, and it shows up many times in the Gospels. Here it seems to mean something like this. Many who have high positions in society will have low places in the afterlife. And many who are persecuted in this life, like the Gentiles, will be highest in the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus' basic teaching here. And Jesus is going to develop this particular teaching more about first and last. In chapter 14, he's going to revisit this. Particularly in chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, he's basically going to say, he's going to tell the kind of the mini parable about those who go to the lowest, who go to the lowest place, but then they're invited uh, by the 
host to come up to a higher place. So this this imagery of low and high, first and last, is going to be explored in the coming days as we continue to look at the next few chapters of Luke. So that's our exegesis for today. There's no catechism references. I'm interested to hear from you. If you disagree with the exegesis or if you have any questions about it, you can always send those through to logicalbiblestudy at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message as well and the link for that is in the episode description. If you've enjoyed today's episode, if you think there's others who need to hear uh, this kind of teaching or who would enjoy diving into the text in this way, please share it with them. This this podcast, this ministry is a small one and the only way it can grow is with your support as the listener. Thanks for listening and we're going to continue moving through Luke in the coming days.